is going through uh, the life of David in Psalms, and we've been reading what goes on in the history books, uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Chronicles, and then comparing to what he wrote in the book of Psalms about those same situations. Now, I can tell by looking at the clock here, we've got a uh, late start tonight and a lot of things going on, so we're probably not going to be able to finish all this, which is probably okay because I don't want to rush this. Um, I don't want to say tonight's lesson is fun because it's not one of those fun lessons. I mean, it's David and Bathsheba. But I have to be honest with you, I enjoyed the lesson because there's so much to learn out of this. There's just so much in this passage here. And what we did left off last week was David's conquest. And it was kind of a good note, we said, if you remember. We said, if we could quit right here, it's pretty good. David is now king. He has conquered his enemies. Everything is going great. It's a nice note to end on, on the war is over, and it's done. Well, the problem is we have the rest of 2 Samuel, and I hate to say this, from this point on, from chapter 11 on, David's life is not a life to be envied. Uh, he has rebellion in his own family. He has uh, you know, rape and sexual relationships in his own family. He loses his one-year-old son. Um, David himself has somebody killed. I mean, it just goes downhill from here on out. And the thing you have to remember when you read about this in the life of David, we don't know for sure how old David was, but most people believe that David was in his 40s or 50s at this time. Mature enough man to know right from wrong and enough to know that he's doing things he shouldn't be doing. So what we have here is the battle is now over. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Now it happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Now I'll stop right there for a second. The beauty of the Bible is it presents everybody in all their glory and also in all their sin. And this story, it is very difficult to find too many redeeming qualities about David in this situation. When you go through the Bible, there's a couple guys that are really presented in almost a perfect light. Obviously, you have Jesus. Daniel, there's really not a whole lot negative to say about Daniel. Joseph, for the most part, pretty good. Uh, even John the Baptist, for the most part, pretty good. David, though, the man after God's own heart, wrote 70-plus psalms. This is really the low point of David's life. He's out there in verse 1. And, and you've probably heard this study before. And as it says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Anybody teaching through 2 Samuel 11 is going to pull out these same points. Look at verse 1 right here. It's, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. Well, who's the king? David. Where David should have been? Out to battle. And said David's at home. So first off, you're dealing with David here who's being lazy. He's supposed to be leading his troops in battle out there in the fight. And instead, he's home doing nothing. He's the leader. He's the king. He's supposed to be out there. This is David who's slain his ten thousands. And instead, he's home. And what is he doing at home, verse 2? He's sleeping. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed. 
Now, you can sit here and say, well, maybe he was just taking a little nap or something like that. No, I think we're painting a bigger picture here. David, after all his great victories in life, is now becoming spiritually lazy. He's getting up in the evening. He's not leading his troops like he's going supposed to. What you see here is success going into failure. And this is a point you see repeated a lot in the Bible, is when you have great spiritual success, be careful. Because Satan loves to pull you down after that. You remember when Peter was talking to Jesus and Jesus came up to him and said, Who do men say that I am? And Peter had that wonderful answer about you are the living God. You are the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And remember Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And basically your name is now Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church. Just a great moment for Peter. Just about two verses later, what's Peter doing? He's pulling Jesus aside and telling Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem. And Jesus flips around and says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. So in a span of verses, we go from Peter being, blessed are you, name changed, I'm going to use you to build the church. A few verses later, Peter opens his big mouth, he's in trouble, and Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. See, the careful things here with success is success sometimes leads to failure because it lets our guard down. Now, it's not happened for everybody. But for a lot of us, it does. You have a few good weeks, a few good months, a few good whatever, and next thing you know, failure happens. And I tell you, if you're going through a difficult time right now and you're tasting a little bit of success, enjoy that. Be thankful to God for that. But don't ever let your guard down. Because what happens is when you let your guard down, it is so easy as David here in verses 1 and 2 to become spiritually lazy. It really is. It becomes easy to sit when you should be fighting. It becomes easy to be sleeping when you should be working. And that's what happened to David. If David would have been out in the battle, none of this would have happened. If David wouldn't have been taking a nap in the evening, none of this would have happened. Now, I have to throw this out there. And I'm going to tell you, the first person I heard tell me this was a woman, not a man, so don't think I'm playing sides here. But I have gals that come up to me after this lesson saying, okay, don't pick on David so much. What was Bathsheba doing? You know, was Bathsheba, you know, fully culpable in this? Was she innocent? We don't know for sure. But you know what? David saw, and so when David saw... What happened in verse 3? So David sent and inquired. Now right there is part of the problem. First off, David shouldn't have been looking. Okay, let's just be honest. Don't, don't look. Now, we don't have Bathsheba moments like this per se today, but we do. you got a Bathsheba sticking on your computer anytime you want it. Bathsheba's on TV anytime you want it. And you also have Bathsheba people all over the place. So we got to be careful now because there's Bathsheba's all over. They just come in a different form than what they did three, 4,000 years ago. And we still have to be careful. But here's the thing. David looked, shouldn't have seen it. He should have just said, Lord, I'm sorry, forget it, and walked off the roof. But you know what happens in verse 3? He inquires about it. See, he takes the next step. Don't ask, okay? Don't click on those sites you shouldn't. Don't flip to those stations you shouldn't. James 1, 4 through 15, excuse me, 14 through 15 says, We're brought down by our own evil desires when we're tempted. And temptation's all over there. And what happens is it goes. And one sin doesn't stop. Look at David's progression here. He saw, after he saw, verse 3, he inquired. And after he inquired, he sent for her. And after he sent for her, he took her. Remember a few weeks ago when uh, Pastor Richfield and he talked about the sin of Achan, where Achan saw, he coveted, he took, then he hid. Look at the progression here of David. He saw, he inquired, he sent, and then he took her. 
And he was wrong. He could have stopped us at any time. He could have saw and said, you know what, I shouldn't have seen that, forgive me. Oh, I asked about her. I just, I'm just going to let go. Sent from her. Oh, what am I doing sending for this girl? I don't need to talk to her. But then he took her. It was this progression of sin. And that's what sin does. Sin creeps in slowly. Now, I don't know David's mindset. I don't want to sit here and try to guess what he was thinking. But was his plan from the beginning this? I don't know if it was or not. But you see it building. And that's what sin does. We start thinking one little thing isn't going to hurt. It's okay if I joke around and flirt with her. What's the big deal, right? It's okay if I just have one drink, because one drink won't lead to two drinks. It's okay if I watch a little bit of that show. I'll just flip when the bad parts come on. We always think that we can say no to that stuff, and really what God's way of dealing with things is don't even start it. Stay away from it from the beginning. David should have been out in battle. David shouldn't have been sleeping. Instead, he saw things he shouldn't have. He inquired, he sent, he took, and it led to this. And what a problem it led to. Now, before we move on here, is there anybody got any quick questions, comments about the first few verses of this before we go on? John. You know, and that's the thing is, yeah, that, that's the thing is, I've actually heard teachings on that saying, is this something that's been going on, and that's part of the reason why he went up on the rooftop? You know, really, when push comes to shove, we don't know. We don't know. Like I said, was was Bathsheba saying, hey, I know the king's up on the roof at this time? Was David saying, hey, I know what goes on? We don't know for sure. Either way, he saw, he shouldn't have, and he should have moved on. So, anybody else got anything here? Okay, well, sin happens. Verse 5, the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. See, here's the problem with sin. It grows and spreads even when we don't see it. Now, I don't want to throw more into the story, but I kind of wonder, after verse 4, said, done, she returns to the house, it's over. Well, then you got this problem in verse 5. She's now pregnant. See, this is what happens with unconfessed sin. It grows and spreads even when you don't see it. And so this sin is spreading here. Verse 6, now comes the cover-up. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And now David goes downhill from here. What happens the first time is he brings Uriah back. This is Bathsheba's husband. And he basically says to Uriah, hey, great to have you back. Hey, why don't you go home, enjoy being with your wife, then head back out to the battle. Uriah says, I can't do that. You know, there's men serving at the front. It'd be wrong for me to go home to the pleasures of my wife. I won't do it. So first idea to cover up the sin doesn't work. Second idea is, okay, let's get Uriah drunk. Everything goes one step further. Let's get Uriah drunk. I'll send him home. And so therefore, once he's drunk, he'll sleep with his wife and everything will be fine. The problem is Uriah gets drunk and he just passes out and he doesn't even go to his house. So cover up number two doesn't work. So now we're to, what else are we supposed to do? Well, the rest of chapter 11, David has this plan of let's send Uriah into the heat of the battle, and as he goes into the heat of the battle, I'll pull all of his support from him, and Uriah will be killed. I'm telling you right now, you remember a few Sundays ago when we went through that message in Proverbs, when we said, sin is never worth it? Okay, David had a one-night fling with Bathsheba, which leads to lie upon more lie, which eventually leads to murder. Just for that. heard a pastor say this recently. You pay a lot for sin, and you get very little in return. And isn't that the truth? David paid a lot. From this point on, in David's kingdom, his family is a mess. 
It is a mess. David's kingdom is a mess. David's ministry is a mess from here on just because he had a one-night fling with Bathsheba and then he tried to cover it up. I don't like to play what-if situations, but what if David just would have said, I'm sorry. Well, the problem is, what's the penalty for adultery and affair in the Old Testament? Stone him. So to save David's murder... David murders. See, he's the king. Well, I, 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 can't, I can't come out and do this. So we always try to cover it up, don't we? Don't we always try to do that with sin? We always think one little lie is no big a deal. We always think that we can always hide that. We always can put that somewhere or hide that there. And, and it just breeds and just comes out again and again and again and just causes problems. That's the one thing I keep realizing. Anytime I have unconfessed sin in my life, it is just breeding and festering and it's causing problems. It just grows and grows and grows. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. He who covers his sins will not prosper. Whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. I tell you, anytime someone comes to me and says, James, can you pray for me? I'm struggling in this area. I tell you, I respect them so much for being open and honest. Because they're confessing their sin, they're asking for prayer, they're asking for strength. Because a lot of times, what do we do as Christians? We lie. Everything's great, everything's fine. Oh, not really struggling with anything. Because we don't want to lose that pride. See, here's the problem. Look at the last verse of verse 27. After Uriah is dead, it says, When her mourning was over, David sent and brought her, Bathsheba, to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. See, that is the key statement. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God says, no. Not the man after my own heart, not the king, not the representative of Israel. No, I can't allow this to go. Well, the thing that happens is this goes on for almost a year. David is in an unconfessed state for almost a year. Baby comes, Bathsheba and him are having this happy little life, and then what you have here in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan the prophet comes, and Nathan basically lays the story down at David's feet, and basically the story says, David, it was you. You sinned. We know you sinned. Now, here's the thing. Here's the big climax. I mean, this is Hollywood movie all over it. You have an affair. You have the cover-up. You have the murder then everybody looks like they're all going, and then you have the big climactic courtroom scene in chapter 12. And it all builds up to David, you didn't. I mean, don't you just think of this big climactic scene. Look at David's response. Verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Now, i got to tell you, I'm really disappointed in the climactic scene in verse 13. That's all David says, is I have sinned against the Lord. That's all. As far as we know, there's no tears. There's no dramatics. There's no long speech. I have sinned against the Lord. See, I, I struggle with this sometimes because every now and then when somebody does something wrong and they come and say, I'm sorry, they say, I'm sorry, and sometimes my response is, that's all? What else are they supposed to say? They're sorry. Well, come on, if you were really sorry, this is what you would do. You'd feel bad. You'd feel bad for weeks. You'd feel miserable. You would cry. You would do this. You would do that. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. That is all he says. 
And now we know that his repentance was true, but don't we have a different idea sometimes of repentance? And I want more dramatics, I want more tears, and I want you to feel bad for how you have wronged me. And really what it comes down to is the only thing we need to say is, I'm sorry. Because what does 1 Corinthians 13 says? Love keeps no record of wrongs. And I've done that. I've said to, I can remember one time with Dawn where something happened. She said, hey, I'm sorry. And I remember thinking, sorry's not good enough. Well, you know what? Sorry is good enough. What else is there? Because you also have the flip side of this. Remember in Esau, in, he, in the book of Hebrews, Esau had his birthright stolen from him from Jacob. And you remember Esau says he sought it with tears. See, we can have a lot of emotion and saying, I'm sorry, but sometimes the heart's not there. See, what you have here now is after this long, dramatic story, is now we have Psalm 51, which we're not going to get to tonight. We'll have to get to that next week. Where Psalm 51 is what was going on in David's heart. On the outside, you have, I have sinned against the Lord. That's all you get. Psalm 51 on the inside, you get the full picture of what David's heart was. And I'm telling you right now, this year that David had in this unconfessed state of sin from looking at Psalm 51 was utterly miserable for him. Spiritually, he declined. Emotionally, he declined. Physically, he declined. His life was a mess because unconfessed sin sits on you and just sucks out the joy and energy that you have in life. And it's never, ever worth it. It's not. I like that phrase once again. You pay a lot for sin and you get very little in return. If we could go back in time and ask David, was it worth it? No. It wasn't worth it. At this point, how many wives and concubines did David have? We don't even know. It wasn't worth it in any way whatsoever. So, looking at this picture, you see the progression of sin. You see it, you inquire, you send, you take. It's not worth being lazy. It's not worth taking the break and not going to battle. It's not worth sleeping in the evening. And I'm not saying literally, I'm saying here this idea of spiritually sleeping. It's not worth it. When you find yourself becoming spiritually lazy, I'm telling you, you're right there for a Bathsheba moment. You really are. You're really looking into a problem and you're going to be tripped up really quick and really easy. That's why you stay strong, you stay in the battle, and you stay in the fight. Because once you take time off, now I'm not saying time off in life. It's good to get away as a family. It's nice to have days off. It's nice to have vacation. But here's the thing. You never take time off from the Lord. And when you take a vacation from your spiritual walk, you're looking to be a Bathsheba moment left and right there because your defenses are down and it'll grab you. It's all over the place. This is what I want to finish with. Can you go to uh, Genesis real quick? Go to Genesis. And uh, Genesis chapter 4. Classic story of Cain versus Abel. Cain and Abel both offer the sacrifices to the Lord. Abel's sacrifice is accepted. Cain's offer is not accepted. And what you have here in Genesis 4, verse 5, but he, meaning God, did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Look at verse 7. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Sin lies at the door and its desires for you. See, we said in the message tonight, don't go watch the movies, you shouldn't. Don't click on the websites, you shouldn't. Don't go flirt with the girls, you shouldn't. Okay, Cain didn't have the internet. Cain didn't have movies that were bad. Cain didn't have a lot of choices to go flirt with. 
Cain still committed murder. Why? Because what you have here in verse 7, sin lies at the door. I tell you guys, I think sometimes as Christians, we are so naive when it comes to the things of the devil. We really are. Sin lies at the door. And the Bible says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his battle plan. He wants to destroy marriages and lives and families. He wants to destroy it. <clears throat> and that's what he does. And sin lies at the door to pull you down, your marriage down, your kids down, everything. How do you stay strong? You stay strong by being in the battle, by being in the fight, and don't become spiritually lazy. Don't fall asleep in your Christian walk. Stay strong, stay focused, and God gives you the strength to get through it. If David would have been in the battle, if David wouldn't have been taking the evening nap, this wouldn't have happened. But because he got spiritually lazy, after successes, you see him falling. And it caused problems for later on in his family's life. Does anybody have any final questions, comments about this before we close up? Yeah, Megan. And that's a good point. It's kind of a sin of pride. I'm the king. I can have whatever you want. And if you would actually get a chance tonight, I, I encourage you all to take a look at 2 Samuel 12 because that's kind of the story that Nathan did. Is basically the rich man steals the poor man's lamb. And basically David could have whatever he wanted in a sense. And he says, I'll take Uriah's wife. And basically, David, why did you do that? So that's a good point too. There's some pride there. Basically, I'm the king and I can do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want. Yeah, Kathy. Mm -hmm. Other people died. Other people died because of this. And you know, Uriah is one of those guys that, uh, what did Uriah do wrong? He had a pretty wife that happened to live next to the king. You know, and somebody even said, and, and you know, this is so tough to speculate because we don't know for sure, but somebody said if Uriah had that close of quarters to the king's quarters, and it wasn't obviously strange for Uriah to be called into David's uh, hall here, that did David and Uriah have a relationship? Because, you know, you've got to imagine this. If you're living next to the king, you're probably doing okay in life. And obviously Uriah's house was right beside the king's bedroom. That's a pretty good place to live. And when Uriah gets called in, it sounds like they, they kind of know each other a little bit. You know, they ask, how it's going, what are you doing? It sounds like there's a relationship. And one pastor even speculated it was Uriah because they said if you look at the name Uriah, it kind of carries a foreign context. Some of them thought it was Uriah one of David's mighty men, one of the 400 men that David had picked up in the wilderness, and that David had known this guy, and Uriah knew David, and so there was this close relationship that was also taken advantage of. If nothing else, without speculating too much, Uriah had to be a pretty big guy. He's, his place was right beside the king's. That's a pretty good place to be right there. Anybody else have anything here? Yeah, Mark. There's, also, there's like a little sneak preview into Uriah himself in that his actions were honorable yeah. when David brought him back. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't indulge in, in a lot of the things that you know, he could have. And that's a very valid point. Uriah could have went Bathsheba, he didn't. And then check out verse 13. Yes, Uriah was wrong for getting drunk, but look at verse 13. Now when David called him and he ate and drank before him, he made him drunk. You know, obviously Uriah had the choice to say no, but you're right, Uriah was an honorable man. He was an honorable man, and David took advantage of that. Sin, it's, just, it's never worth it. It is never worth the price that you pay for it. And I tell you guys, I've been saved for 17 years, and I'm still learning that lesson. It's not 
worth it. Lord, it is always better to be honorable in the Lord and to be true and pure in Him. His, yeah, his sin, innocent people, Uriah, the other soldiers. In, in chapter 12, uh, David's one-year-old infant dies because of this sin. And because of this sin, you know, you can trace back Absalom's rebellion here in a few chapters. comes back to this sin. You know, this sin really was the downfall of David's kingdom and David's life. He's still a man after God's own heart. He is still an amazing servant of the Lord. And he's still the one that God said, I'm going to choose you to have the Messiah be born through. So... To me, it's also a lesson of we all have Bathsheba moments where we really, really screw up. But God loves us and God forgives us. It's a beautiful thing. And when we get into Psalm 51 next week, you'll see that grace and mercy is a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right, let's pray. Lord, we just come to you now. And first off, thank you for your love and your mercy because we all have Bathsheba moments. Lord, forgive us for that. Forgive us for those times where we fail. Forgive us for those times where we trap ourselves into sin, Lord, where we send and take when we really should just let go. Lord, forgive us for being spiritually lazy, lazy in our marriages, lazy in our lives, lazy in raising our kids, or lazy in whatever, Lord. Forgive us for that. We want to be on fire for you, taking the battle for you, Lord, and serving you in all ways and all things. We lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week.